0: All right, church, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to uh, Psalm, Psalm 84. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand so you could follow along. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, just get your hand up We'd grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, uh, throw your hand up and grab one of these as our gift to you and just take it home with you. But turn to Psalm 84. As we continue on in this series that we're calling I Am a Christ Follower. Now, why are we doing this series? Yeah, part of it is, man, we, we, we would love for people to, to say, hey, I, I went to all six sermons, so I'd love to be part and sign up officially as this is my church. I want to be a member here. I want to say this is where I go. I want to stand behind what we're doing. And I want to do it together. That's part of it. But here's the, the big reason even behind that. It's so all of us have clarity on who we are as a church. It's so we have, have unity together of this is who we are. This is what we do as a church. So that there'd be urgency for us as a church, that, that we wouldn't be wasting our lives on trivial things, but we'd be, I want to spend my life for what matters most. And so we want to all be together. What does this look like for us as a church, as a group of Christ followers? <clears throat> and to help us get our heads wrapped around it clearly, here's where the clarity comes. We, we've got three words, we want to press into these three areas in our life as Christ followers. Worship is one. So last week we began, we, we talked about the heart of worship, where, where I treasure Christ above everything else. And, and how does this look practically? That daily I'm going to be in worship. Daily I'm going to be in the Word, in prayer, seeking after Christ daily. Weekly worship looks like this, where I'm going to commit to this, where Sunday for me isn't a throwaway. It isn't something that I sometimes show up, sometimes not. But I'm like, no, I want to be a part of this worshiping every week together. So that's worship. And the other thing we want to be focusing on is community. What's it look like that that we're not just individuals? We come to a place where, where we're known and we're loved and we know others and love others. So we're gonna talk about what's the heart behind community and what's the action of that as we do life together. We press into each other's lives and walk this life out together as Christ followers. The last word there is mission. We don't do this all to have a little kumbaya experience. We come together and hold hands and feel good about it. No, we're on mission for Christ. Christ called us to follow Him, and then sent us out. Said, "Go into all the world with the gospel, with the good news." And so that's what we're all about. That we be on mission in our church with each other, locally, globally. We would see the gospel go to the nations. That's what a Christ follower is. That's what we want for our church. And last week we talked about the heart of worship. This week, what's it look like if, if treasuring Christ is the foundation of being a Christ follower? He's my ultimate treasure. What's that look like on street level? Like, how do I live this out? I mean Jesus said follow me, so it, it can't just be like a, a heart thing only, like follow me in your heart. No, he he called us to actively pursue him. So there's something active about this. So what's the action of worship? How do I treasure Christ? How do I place my hope in him as the anchor of my soul daily, weekly? We could have picked a lot of passages to jump in on this, but we landed here in Psalm 84. And as you look at this passage, these 12 verses here we're going to cover, you're going to see a word that gets repeated throughout the verses. You see it in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 12. The psalmist says this in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So what does the Bible mean when it, when it talks about being blessed? I mean, that's a word we use a lot, and, and I don't think we use it improperly, but, but you, it's a word that, you, I mean, you would hashtag that word in your Instagram or Twitter where you, you take a picture of yourself on your dock overlooking the lake, and you'd hashtag blessed, Right? You have maybe a picture of your family and you're you're gathered up with your kids. You're like, hashtag blessed. And, And those are right. Those are blessings from the Lord. That is right to say blessed. But then what do I do when in the New Testament, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit? What about the book of James where it says, you're blessed when you remain standing firm under trials? There's got to be something deeper to being blessed than just, just being happy because those are moments where I, I, don't, I don't sense happiness. So, so what does it look like? How, how can I be blessed when life is hard? How can I be blessed when my, my health is failing? How can I be blessed when, when I look around and see such a broken world around me? How can I be blessed when there's turmoil and strife in my family? How can I be blessed when this idea of happiness, it's not like it's just out of my reach. No, it's in a different time zone. So, what's this psalmist here saying then about being blessed? Well, another word for blessed, the Greek word we read in the New Testament, the word blessed literally means to be fully satisfied. It it speaks of those people who who you have all of God's favor on you, no matter what your circumstances are. So it's it's more than just happy. It's it's more than just being surrounded by good stuff and good people and, and good health. Those are all nice things. But there's something here in the psalmist's life that they would say that even if those things are removed, even if those things are taken away, when my health, when my stuff, when loved ones are taken away, and we mourn, and it's good to mourn, it's it's right to be sad at the loss of those things, yet even in the sorrow, a Christ follower still finds this deep satisfaction, this this enduring hope, this this lasting, overflowing joy, this feeling of, I'm still blessed. And it starts, I think, with having this this open hand on the the things that are temporal, like, God, thank you for these good gifts you've given me, but these are not the ultimate gifts. And my hand is open to those temporal things, but my hand is closed tightly to eternal things. And I've got a strong grip on knowing, God, you are for me, you're with me, you're in me, and I'm going to hold tight to those things even if I lose these other things. So the the action of worship, it's lived out in this blessed life. And so I would say it this way, taking each of these verses then. What's the first way we live out worship? It's the first one found in verse 4 there. I find joy in God's presence. What's worship look like? It's me finding joy in the presence of God. It said, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now, the psalmist here is talking about the house of the Lord, he's talking about the temple. I mean, God in the Old Testament, here, here's how he kind of laid it out with the, his people in the Old Testament. God is omnipresent, we know that. He's everywhere, and yet with his people, he, he set up the tabernacle in the wilderness as they were wandering out of Egypt, and then when they found a permanent home, they built this temple, and this, this representation of the presence of God. Where He said, that's where you come to worship. And the psalmist is talking about how he loves being there. Look at verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Look at verse 10 for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I mean, this person is excited about being in worship. So let's, let's go all the way back then. Let's see then, if, if he's talking about being in the presence of God, look at the, right before verse 1, there's a little notation there. It says, to the choir master. So we know that the book of Psalms are songs. And so there's a note here, hey, who's ever leading worship, make sure you get this. And it says, to the choir master, according to the giddeth, now, I mean, I looked that up. Nobody really knows what that is, what a giddith is. Some, some say, most would say it's probably an instrument. Say, hey, when you sing this, it sounds best with guitar. So do this one with guitar, all right? That's, I think it's electric guitar. That's kind of where I land on it, all right? And then it says this. It says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So, so who's writing the psalm? It's, it's not a psalm of David. It's not a psalm of Moses. As a, a lot of these psalms are. This one's the sons of Korah. So who are these guys? I mean, who are these people so fired up to be in the presence of God in his temple? Well, when God set up a temple, he gave different families different roles in the temple, different people, different roles. So he'd say, hey, hey, this group of people, your family, you're gonna take care of worship in the temple. This group here, you're gonna be the priests in the temple. Well, we read in 1 Chronicles 9, 17, where it says the sons of Korah, you guys are gonna be the gatekeepers of the temple. You guys are in charge of the door. You guys are on the welcome team holding the door saying, Good morning, welcome to harvest. That's the sons of Korah. And so when you you read verse 10, where it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. That's not hypothetical, that's reality. The psalmist loves what he does. I love being at the door of the temple. I love being near God's presence. And there's this this holy, deep anticipation, this this expectation, like a kid on Christmas Eve saying, I can't wait to get in the presence of God. Like a bride on the the day before her wedding, just, just so I can't wait to be near God. This obsession with being near God. If the sons of Korah were in the room today, they would be the one turning around saying to everybody, Isn't this amazing? It is so good to to worship God together like this. They're the ones who'd be saying, man, I would rather be on the set-up teardown team every single Sunday at church than be anywhere else. I would rather be the person at the door saying welcome to harvest than I would be anywhere else on a Sunday morning. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. This is from a group of people who are always there. I mean, that was their job. They showed up, they manned the doors. Could you imagine if they only showed up like we do once a week to church? I mean, they'd be dancing in the aisles. They would be high-fiving us. They would probably look at us as as though we were weird. Why are you guys so quiet? Why are you guys so polite in your worship? Why are you guys so Canadian? Really, that's what they'd be saying, right? Like, we get to worship together. Are you kidding me? They're that person, when you come in to, to Sunday, when you come discouraged, or if you come distracted, or, or, if, or if you come disengaged, they're the ones who meet you as you come kind of discouraged. They're like, good morning. Isn't it great to be here? Can you believe we get to do this? It's the person, listen, it's the person who hates it whenever the worship team says, hey, for this song, I just want you to remain seated. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not sitting during worship. Right? They're the one who stands up in the front awkwardly and everybody else goes, I guess we'll stand up to you then, right? That's the sons of Korah. That's how fired up they are to be here. They love what they do. They're not bored. They can't get enough of what they do. They're singing about how they love to be in the presence of God, how much they loved the place of God. You have to understand something. They're not in love with the temple. Some people were. Some people were enamored of the temple. It was a beautiful building. You, you read the history of the, the temple during this time. It was this massive white marble building with these huge bronze doors on it. Historians say that there are times during the day where you couldn't even look at the temple because the light shining off the white marble was so bright it would blind you. But they're saying, hey, that's not what I'm fired up about. He didn't talk about it at all. It doesn't talk about the temple once. It's all about the presence of God. It's a heart that says, I love the good things God gives me. But may we never allow those good things to become ultimate things. May we never allow the, the temporal things to crowd out the eternal things. May my heart never be so enamored with the things of earth that the things of heaven grow dim. Look at else, who else is in the temple here, verse three. He's singing for, to God and says, verse three, even the sparrow finds a home, even the swallow a nest for herself and where she may lay her young at your altars. Some of these birds in the temple. The, the sparrow, when you read through scripture, the sparrow's always used as this example of, of a humble, lowly, common, seemingly worthless bird. Jesus says you could buy two of them for a penny. And here we see the psalmist making this point that this insignificant bird gets mentioned, that in the presence of God, this bird finds significance. You have the swallow, this this fast-moving bird, back and forth. You ever see swallows in a barn? They just don't stop. They're just zipping everywhere. And they make you dizzy just watching them. And he says, this bird that doesn't seem to find any rest finds rest in God's presence. Think about the good news we're hearing in those two examples. This is the gospel right here, that the one who feels worthless, the one who feels alone, the one who feels broken beyond repair, the one who feels unknown and unseen. Like the sparrow, you find your worth and your joy in God's presence the one who's restless, like the swallow, you find your rest where? It says at the altar, you find your rest, at the cross of Christ. And, and there you can, as, as Hebrews 4 says, you just boldly come into God's presence where you can find your help in time of need, where you can grab a hold of the anchor for your soul. I mean, think of what that means, The, the sparrow and the swallow. That's what we are. That's what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, where we gather together as a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of unknown people, a bunch of broken people. Some of you coming in here broken by the sin you've done. Some of you here this morning broken by the sin that's been done to you. Some of you here just broken by the sin you see in our world. And what happens? You come in here, you fall on your knees before God, and in worship, you find your home. I mean, this psalmist loved to be in God's presence, found joy in God's presence. Verse 2 says, my flesh sings for joy. Verse 4 says, ever singing your praise. So, So what's the action of worship we see here in the psalm? Well, all through the psalms, all through scripture, we see over and over again, there's this, hey, sing to the Lord. That's why what we do as part of the worship service, when when the worship team is leading us, singing isn't just a filler. It's not just something we do to feel good on a Sunday morning to kind of get us in the mood for what else. No, it's important. It's what we're doing. It's why we're here. If you're here this morning and you don't have a ton of church background, I get it, man, singing together with a bunch of people in church is very weird. I mean, think about it. It's odd. Some churches try to lighten the weirdness by, well, let's just sing some more pop songs to get them warmed up. I don't know about you, but I find that even weirder that I would come to a church and I'd sing Katy Perry. Like, well, why, how does that make it less weird, right? Here's, here's what we're doing. It says a Christ follower is a singer. We don't just come together for a sermon. We come together because we can't but help sing God's praise. So the action is this this singing. We ever sing your praise, it says in verse 4. Not just talking God's praise, not just thinking God's praise, not just contemplating on God's praise. We do all those as well, but they they burst out in song and in shouts to the Lord. Verse 2, when it says, my heart and flesh sing for joy, the word there could also be translated shout for joy. So, it's not even just this sweetly singing. Here's what it's saying it's saying it's very appropriate in church. It's good for us in church to cheer, to to let out a shout of worship. It's okay in church while you're singing and and you're singing about the gospel that that Christ has rescued me from death to life. It's okay to let out a woohoo! It's all right. The promise, we're so Canadian, we're like, no, I don't think I can do that. The, the psalmist here says, shout for joy. It's worth shouting about. Listen, not only do, would we shout while we sing, listen, while somebody's preaching, if there's something that hits your heart and resonates with your heart, it's okay to say, amen. Praise God. Mmm, I don't know, whatever you want to say, right? <laughs> Preach, right? And listen, when, here's something I would say when somebody does it, when, when God's moving in someone's heart and they go, Amen, let's not all go, You're you distracted, I'm trying to lit, right? No, they're not distracting us, they're bringing us into what God is doing. They're, they're moving us out of the spectator mentality of church. Like you all sit there, be quiet, and listen to one guy talking. No, we're all engaged in this. So if I say something that resonates with your heart, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to say praise God right on whatever that is. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. Why would we do it? Because we want to draw attention to, man, that's where my hope is. God's doing a work right now and I want to praise him for it. So it's okay. Because when we're in God's presence, it should cause us to sing and to shout. Here's the second thing we see. Look at verse 5, where where we find joy in his presence. Verse 5 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. I find hope in God's strength. How does worship play itself out in our life? It's when we find hope in God's strength. Look what it says, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before the Lord God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. So, so now we're, we're moving. Our, our focus is shifting off of the sons of Korah who are already at the temple, and now it's going to these people who are walking to the temple. Those who are, who are journeying, those who are far away from the presence of God but making their way into the presence of God. And verse 6, it says, you're, you're going through the valley of Baca. Baca, it's a, it's a tree, a word that describes this, this tree that, that sap would run out of it and it would kind of come out looking like tears. And so they named it Baca because the word Baca rhymes with a Hebrew word, Baca, which means weeping. And so what they're saying is, you're going through this valley of weeping. That when we worship God, It isn't all happy, clappy, kumbaya gumdrops and rainbows all the time. There are valleys of weeping. But listen, there's hope in the midst of that weakness. There's hope in God's strength. To to actively live out worship, it's actively finding hope in the strength of God. And I love that, because here's what I love about that. It means that it's not based on my strength. Listen, Christianity is a religion for the weak. It is not a religion for the strong. It's not a religion for the put-together, successful, unusually positive people, a Christ follower, a Christ follower, somebody who worships because they're totally dependent on God. And so I would say this. I would say this. Harvest Muskoka and Harvest Perry Sound is a church full of spiritual weaklings. But for God. in his strength, we're made strong. In his strength, we have hope. In his strength, we are sufficient because he's all sufficient. And so if you come in here on a Sunday morning and, and you're hearing the call to worship and you've just walked through a valley of weeping to get here, maybe this morning you're experiencing dry days, difficult days, and there's been hardship, there's been hopelessness, Maybe enough to even literally cause you to weep. And in the midst of that journey, what sustains us is a hope in the strength of God. And that we hold on to that hope, even in the midst of loss, even in those desolate places of of pain and disappointment and injustice and and sickness and loneliness. and, And even in those valleys spring up pools of blessing. Why? Because we're reminded that my hope isn't in the things of this world, but I have a hope that's lasting greater than that. I have a hope in the anchor of Jesus Christ. I have a hope in God's strength. This is what I love about reading the Psalms. I love when you you read through the Psalms, they're so honest about pain. It's, it's why I love hearing testimonies from those not who have it all figured out, not who go, I got this thing dialed and my life is great. I love hearing testimonies from people who are in the deepest, darkest places but still say, God's my hope. People say, I'm walking through a dark valley but my shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me in this. You know, if, if you haven't listened to this testimony of, of, you can find it online. If you haven't ever heard it yet, of Ben Galashian. maybe Many of you know Ben, and, and Ben's testimony was this, that, that he was hit with this, this remarkably rare syndrome which caused him to be fully paralyzed, total body paralyzed. He's laying in the bed in the hospital, and his mind's still working, his body is not. And in, in complete paralysis, here's what he says, you gotta watch the video online. He says, God blew up my flimsy foundation for life that I built to show me that he's my strong foundation. He says, God brought me to this low, low place where everything was removed from me to show me that I can't lose him, that he is my hope in my weakness. So listen, we don't gather as those who have it all together. We don't gather as those who say, man, I always love worshiping. I'm always gonna, we don't gather as those who always come with a song of joy but we gather together to together fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we come hurting and we come broken, remembering that Jesus has been through that valley too. That one of the darkest days on a hill called the Skull, that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he was put into a tomb and that, that, that stone was locked over that darkest of tombs. And Jesus went there into the dark valley of weeping, and He went there for you. And he, and he swallowed that very real darkness so that, as abandoned as we might feel, as lost as we might feel on days or weeks or months or even years, as dark as that valley may seem, He never lets you go there alone. And He walks that road with you, He prays those prayers with us, He says. He fills us with his spirit. He lifts our burdened souls by his grace. And by his cross, because of Christ's victory, he stared death in the face. And he came back to life three days later. Jesus now upholds us in our hurts. And he leads us through the valley of weeping to worship. The action of worship is when we find hope in his strength. And I don't know, maybe right now, maybe there are many of you here this morning where you would say, man, that describes me. I am in a valley of weeping today. Of hurt, of pain, of loss, of sickness, of, of confusion, of dryness. I mean, how many of you would be so honest and say, yeah, that, that's me. I feel like right now your hand would go up and say, I'm in a valley of, of weeping right now. Hands up if you would say that. Hands all across this room. In fact, let me me stop right now. I just want to pray. Let's pray together. Maybe if if your hand didn't go up, that you would join me in prayer, that you would pray in the quiet of your heart right now for those whose hands did go up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those right now whose hands went up. Lord, some went up because of sickness, God. Lord, God, I pray that in that valley of sickness, God, I pray that there would be healing, God, that you even right now, Lord, you promised that you're the great physician that you could heal, God, some hands have gone up because they're unsure of something. God, there's just so many questions. They don't know what you're doing. God, I pray that you would reveal your heart to them. God, some hands went up because of relationship strife. God, that you would bring reconciliation and hope and healing. God, for those who hands went up, just, Lord, they're they're in a place of dryness and, and, and depression and difficulty. God, that you would be their hope. Lord, I pray that prayer over all of us, God, that no matter what, as we cry out for you to do something, God, I pray this. I pray that we would see you. We would see your strength. God, I, I don't need to pray that you would be present because, God, you promised us that you are present. I pray that we would see and experience your presence, that even though we're walking through the valley of death, that we would see you as our shepherd with us, that our hope would be in your strength, dear God. God, would you do that right now? Would you bring hope Hope in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5, you see where the psalmist says their hope is in. The hope is, is whose strength is in you. I love that. Not in self-help, not in techniques, not, in, not deep within yourself, not in your stuff, not, not in your reputation, not in a job you've created, not in a legacy you have. No, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 goes on and says, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. How do we do that? How do we make our hearts have these highways to Zion? Zion being this, this word of God's, God's glory, God's place of glory. Ultimately, Zion would represent heaven, but it's this, this place where God is. And how do we have our hearts have these highways to Zion? Zion. How do I have a heart that draws me to that kind of worship? How do I practically carve out these highways of worship in my heart? I've got two simple ways for us this morning. Two ways of carving those those highways out. The first one is this it's repentance. May God, by his grace, gives us these great tools to to carve these highways out. And the first one is repentance. In fact, flip over a few Psalms to Psalm 32. Just flip back a few pages till you get to Psalm 32. God gives us this, this repentance as a gift because we all come in here broken. No one came in here this morning totally clean. No one came in here going, you know, I, I nailed it this week, man. Perfectly righteous all week. All my thoughts, all my actions, all my deeds, and even my heart behind, my motive was pure. Nobody comes in here like that. So what do we do? Well, Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ, you who are once far off, you're journeying into God's presence, you're far off. He says, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So look at Psalm 32. See the same grace in these first two verses. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We, we draw near. Our, 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 we carve this, this highway in our heart to God's presence. We have this. We have this blessing of what it looks like to be forgiven. So, so what happens, though, when we don't do that? Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, and for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sounds a bit like a valley of weeping, doesn't it? Well, how do I get out of that valley? Man, how do I get out where where it feels that way for me this morning, where it feels like my bones are are dried up and wasting away. It feels like my my passion for the Lord is gone. Man, I want to get back to verse 1 and 2, the blessing versus how do I get there. Look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Listen, a Christ follower is somebody who repents. What do I mean by repent? It means you're going in one direction. God presses in with this grace of conviction. Conviction's good. And God presses in going, that's the wrong way. And repent means you turn and go in a different direction. Repent isn't the same as confession. Right? Confession you go, oh, I did something wrong. There, I'm good. That's not repentance. You go to a little booth and say that and go on with your day. That hasn't changed anything, Right? No, repentance is I want to change. I want to pursue what God has for me. So so you'll hear this a lot. Our whole discipleship ministry model in our church is a ministry of repentance. Small groups, we're calling each other to repentance our whole counseling ministry. Biblical soul care is basically a ministry of repentance. You come in to see one of our counselors. You go, hey, my marriage is a train wreck. It's on fire right now. I need help. Listen, we're going to come alongside in love and grace, but here's what we're doing. Calling you to repentance. What's the Lord pressing in on your heart right now? What do you need to change? That's where we'll take the ministry. In small groups, we're not just hanging out to dig into more theology. We wanna press into authentic, transparent relationships where we intentionally, we wanna seek repentance. Because here's the thing, God will press in on our hearts and we have this thing that happens when God does that. We we feel that conviction of the spirit, we go, oh. And in that moment, we've, we've got this choice where we can say, God, you know what? I don't want you to touch that. I don't want that cleared up. I'm cool with that roadblock and the highway of my heart. And when we say that, it's this choice to stop pursuing God. I no longer want to seek God. It's that choice to say, no, in that I am not a Christ follower. Or we can dig deep into that conviction and we can pursue repentance because listen, every call of God, every conviction God places in our heart is a call to freedom and joy and hope in his presence. Let me give you a silly example of how this worked out in my life. <clears throat> my wife and I, we've been talking for a while about my, my, my old Honda Accord is getting older and the kilometers are getting up. So okay, maybe we need to start thinking about saving some money up to replace that car. And so me, I'm thinking, well, I, you know what? I think the most practical thing for me to get would be a four by four pickup truck, because you know it'd be safer. I could help people move, and I would even throw out the, it's snowing, and I gotta take the girls somewhere. I probably should have had a pickup truck, right? That's kind of how I play this thing. And here's the thing: the Lord put my wife Libby into my life, right? She, God, God gave me her to protect me from my stupidity, right? So God gives me this this beautiful and wise wife. So when I'm about to jump onto something and like move to the next thing, she's usually a avoid- Voice of wisdom, and I've been growing. I'm not perfect at it, but growing and learning to go. You know what? I need to listen to what my wife says. It, <laughs> there, I get an amen. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what, here's what goes on. So <laughs> so I'm praying about this, right? Like, okay, I really want this, and I want So I'm, I'm driving home one day, and and honestly, there's that little conviction that God placed in my heart, where God's saying, no. And I don't, I don't follow through. I'm Is God saying no because he's got another plan that we need to use that money for? Is he saying no because the motives of my heart are wrong? But I know that God in that moment is saying, whoa, here's what happens. I come home and my wife, who's the wise, slow-moving person, says to me, you know what? Let's get a pickup truck. I think it's what we need to do. So what do I do in that moment? Run as fast as I can to buy a pickup truck, right? That's my heart. My heart's going, get it quick. Go buy it, and then after you buy it, then you can go to God and go, oh, wait, Lord, what? Were you pressing in on my heart? But you've, My wife said to get it, it's this wife you gave me, Lord, right? That's right, sort of pulling Adam in that moment. <laughs> so here's the thing, God's pressing in on me. It's a silly example, but doesn't it shows the sinfulness of my heart, that the, the creator of the universe It's saying, hey, 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 I have something deeper to do in your heart. And I'm saying, but God, a truck. (laughs) God pressing in, saying, listen, I want you to walk in obedience. So for you this morning, where is God pressing in on your heart? Listen, you can walk in repentance and you can see it as an opportunity for more freedom to create another highway in your heart to God's presence or listen, you could ignore that conviction and you can say to God this morning, you know what, I'm okay with that sin. I'm okay with what you're, I don't wanna follow you in that because I know God, I can just abuse your grace. That God, in that area, the cross of Christ means nothing to me. And I'll throw garbage on your grace because I'm not going to pursue that. Listen, every day we delay in responding and obedience is spending one more day in the valley of weeping. And God's saying, I'm promising you something deeper in relationship with him. I love how the book of Hebrews where it says, throw off everything that that tangles you up, that hinders you. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles I mean, For some of you this morning, this is the sermon right there. That's why God has you here, that the sermon could end right there because God's saying, this is what I want to do in your heart. This is the highway I'm carving today. Maybe before we even move on to anything else, maybe it's in this moment where you know God's pressing and you've brushed him aside, you've presumed on his grace where this morning, as you've been wasting away, we you say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to pursue your presence. Lord God, make a highway in my heart. Lord God, don't let this be a roadblock. Don't move on from this. Don't stay in that valley any longer than you need to. The first, the first way we carve a highway in our heart is God's grace of repentance. Here's a second way. It's it's spiritual disciplines. So repentance carves a highway, spiritual disciplines. Now, what do I mean when I say spiritual disciplines? It's just a fancy word that talks about reading the word, spending time in prayer, in fasting, in, in gathering together, and serving, and giving. It's these things we do that God's given us by his grace, almost like these, these weapons of grace that he's given us to, to carve this highway in our heart. So what would it look like? It would, it would be things like getting into the word, Maybe for you, that, that means actively listening in a sermon, taking notes, like I wanna, I wanna know what this is saying. Maybe it's, it's for you, how would I do it daily? It's, it's being God's word every day. Praying, fasting, memorizing scripture. So how do I do that? What, what would it look like practically for me to practice these spiritual disciplines? I got four things we need to remember. Here's the first one. If you wanna do this, you wanna carve a heart, a highway in your heart, first is this, Get a plan. Get a plan. Don't just have say Say, well, I'll just do that. I'll kind of do the spiritual thing. I'll, no, have a plan. And maybe for you, it's like, I got to get a reading plan. I got I to go online. There's tons of Bible reading plans. We've got some on our website. Go on the resources tab and look down. Bible reading plans. Some of them are year long. Some of them are short. Like, I want 60 days. Two months, I'm going to get the overview of God's word. Have a plan. Maybe your plan is, I want to read through the book of Ephesians. So every day, I'm going to jump into that. that that's going to be my plan. And then read. Read God's word. Read God's word every day. If if you're part of a family, if you're a dad, man, lead your family in that. Like every day, go, we're just going to read God's word. You don't have to be a theologian or a preacher. Maybe you just read it. I would say this. Have a plan to study. To get deep into God's word. And what could that look like? Here's a way where you could could grow deep in God's word. Uh, It's on our website as well. If you look under the resources, it's the STAR method, S-T-A-R What's that look like? The S stands for scripture. I'm gonna find a piece of scripture. It's gonna be a few verses, maybe a chapter, whatever it is, and, and this is what I'm gonna read this morning. I'm gonna grab that. That's my scripture. The T is truth. And you journal out you go, S, here's the scripture. T, what's the truth in this scripture? What, what's it saying? What's the truth about God? What's the truth that I need to read this? What was the original context here? What's the truth here? A, then it's application. How do I apply this? Okay, Lord, that's the truth. Well, what's it doing for me now? How do I take this today? What do I do with this? How do I apply? Well, what's this telling me about the way I think that needs to change, maybe? What's this telling me about the, what I'm doing that needs to change? What's this calling me to, to live out today? Because the R, then, is response. And that's where you get practical. You write out, this is my response. Maybe the R is prayer, and you write out a prayer responding to what you just read. Maybe the R is, here's what I need to do. I need to go and be reconciled with somebody. I need to pursue this, whatever that is. It's a simple way of just getting into God's word. So have a plan. I'd say have a plan if you want God's word. Have a plan of memorizing as well. Maybe you grew up in church and you did the Awana thing. I memorized scripture when I was like nine, but I don't do it anymore. Keep doing it. God's word says, hide the word of God in your heart that you won't sin against him. Basically, hide the word so you're carving more of a path, more of a highway. Have a plan. Here's the second thing, pray about it. If you're like, man, I I don't, I don't, don't get into God's word, I find it very difficult, I find it hard to read, begin to pray about it. Here's the cool thing, when you pray, you're calling out, you're talking to the author of the book. You're like, I don't understand it, ask the author. It's like you've got the DVD extras where the, the producer and the writer are talking through the movie saying, well, this is why we did this shot. And here's what, right? That's what you've got. So you can call it Holy Spirit, would you lead me as I read? I don't understand. Would you reveal it to me? And pray about it. Pray about it together as a family. Pray about it on your own. Here's a third way to, to have the spiritual disciplines as a part of your life. Have a plan. Pray about it. Dig deeper into what it looks like. Don't just settle for surface. Dig deeper. Ask your small group leader, hey, hey, how can I study God's word more? What are some resources you've used? If you want a great, simple book, write this one down. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by a guy named Donald Whitney. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And you can, you can dig deep and, hey, what's it look like to read my Bible, to meditate on God's word, to pray, to fast? How do I do these things? I've heard about them, but I've never actually practiced them. Dig deeper into it. Here's the last part of that. And the fourth way we grow in spiritual disciplines, do it together. Do it together. I mean, this is why we gather as small groups. This is why we get together on a Sunday because to do it on your own, it's, it's almost nearly impossible. We weren't called to be isolated Christians. We were called to walk this out together. So what would it look like for you to say, I'm gonna do that daily. I'm gonna worship God daily because I have an opportunity to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe. I have an opportunity to be in God's presence every day. I mean, think about this psalm. In this psalm, the psalmist is talking about going to the temple. In the Old Testament model, God's presence was represented in the holy of holies of the temple. You and I aren't getting anywhere near that. If you're not Jewish, you're not even getting into the temple. You're with me on the porch going, we can't get in. The sons of Korah are saying, sorry, not getting by us. If you're you're Jewish, you get to go inside. But if you're a, a, a Jewish woman, you can only go so far. Jewish man gets a little closer, but he can only go so far far, unless you're a priest and you get even closer. The high priest, once a year, gets to go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus Christ, so here's our New Testament reality. Jesus Christ lives the perfect life that we couldn't live, dies in our place as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. While he's on the cross, when he says, it is finished, the curtain of the Holy of Holies that separated that place, the, the representative place of God, the presence of God, that curtain tears in two. Saying we all have that access now. In fact, scripture goes even further. In 1 Corinthians, it says this that, that you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that, that that we have every day, anywhere, anytime, we have an opportunity to be in the presence of God. That, that like the sons of Korah here, man, we got that every day. I could be in the presence of God and have my life changed every day. The sons of Korah are at the door so far away and how fired up they are. Here we have it where we can be in God's presence, find his joy, find his hope. This is why gathering together like this is so powerful. We're getting together as a bunch of temples of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. So there's this daily action of Worship where I'm gonna treasure and savor and seek Christ and see him every day, daily, I wanna seek this out. There's this weekly, I wanna gather like this, this is important for me, I wanna to gather together as these temples, encouraging each other, here's where my joy is, here's where my hope is. And why would I do this daily and weekly? Listen, we always make time for what we value the most. These guys here in verse 10 of Psalm 84 say, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather do anything I could to be in the presence of God than anything else. So quickly, as I end, we find joy, we find hope. Here's the last thing really fast. I find rest in God's care. I find rest in God's care. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who trusts in you who just rests in you. Verse nine, it says, "'Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed.'" Who's the anointed? The the anointed is the Messiah, the anointed is Jesus. So, So God is our shield because God sees Christ. All of this pointing to Jesus, all of this saying, this is the greatest news ever, that you and I have sinned against God. We've rebelled, we're separated from God because of our sin. Each one of us, that separation looks differently. The sin looks different. But we've all turned aside from God, rebelled against God. And the good news, God didn't leave us in our separation. Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to this no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He doesn't withhold anything good from those who fear the Lord. He didn't leave us in darkness. Jesus Christ came and and died a death on a cross in our place. Why? Because he opened up this way for us who've rebelled against God to be brought back into the presence of God. Jesus is our shield. So that even in our pain, we know that when we stand before God and look over our life, that even if there was a life of pain, that we would look back and go, God didn't withhold any good from me. I didn't see it at the time, but man, I see it now, God. You gave me everything good. Good. So we rest in his care. That's the invitation. If you don't know Christ this morning, that's the invitation we give every Sunday, that you would trust in Christ, what he has done. Be reconciled today, so no longer are you separated from God. Listen, there's no rest apart from Jesus Christ. No rest. Outside of Christ, your eternity is not a restful eternity. It's an eternity separated from God forever in hell. But through Christ, there is rest. There is joy. There is hope. I love it. It says, in Christ. He doesn't withhold anything. To those who walk uprightly. How do we walk uprightly? It's through Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. Righteousness. Think about who God calls righteous. He says Abraham's righteous, a pagan guy who, who lied and connived his way around. He calls David upright. David, after he sinned, he had sex with another man's wife and then had him killed to try to hide the sin. And God says David was upright. How is that? That's God's grace. So listen, as the worst team comes up as we end off this morning, how can I rest in God's care? Because, listen, God knows everything about you. God knows all you are, all you've done, everything about you. He he knows your best moments. He knows your darkest moments. If you think about it, if you're saying, man, hey, hey, you're going to have to go stand before God. I know what I would do. I would want to hide some of my moments. The moments that I'm going to hide from God, what would they be? They would be those darkest things that nobody knows about, things that I wouldn't share with anybody, sin and brokenness my life, then I would hide those things. But listen, God sees everything. And if you've placed your trust in Christ, as you stand before God, totally exposed before God, God sees everything and God loves you. I think in fear, we try to hide these things from God and... I was reading one blogger who said this, that when we stand before God on that last day, if we actually could hide things from God to trick our way into heaven, saying, I'm going to hide this so I can get in, and then we stand before God, and God goes, I didn't see that. Imagine that. So what, you tricked your way in here, and Jesus didn't die for that sin, and but no, listen, listen, everything is exposed before God. What does that do? It causes us to rest. So God, you've taken care of everything. You've got my life in your hands and no matter what I'm experiencing now, even if I'm in a valley of weeping, I can worship you, I can rest in you because you see everything about me. This blogger said this, he said, God knows the most intimate details of the events and circumstances of my life, so I have nothing to fear in life. He knows the darkest, most shameful details of my thoughts and deeds, so I have nothing to fear in death. So now, because of that, we can all say, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I mean, is that true for you this morning? Would you be able to say that, that a day with you, God, a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere? God, waking up a half an hour early is better than sleeping in for two hours. God, spending any time with you Listen, if we truly live this out, if we had this action of worship every day in our lives, think about what God would do. Think about what this would do in Muskoka, in Perry Sound. It would turn the place upside down for the gospel. telling you, God could take a small group, a hundred people who are so fired up for Jesus, a hundred doorkeepers, sons of core who say, I'll do anything just to be in God's presence. He could take a hundred people like that and do more than he could with a thousand lukewarm, going through the motions, so-called Christ followers. I mean, if we, if we take this seriously, imagine what God could do with it. God fanned the flames of our hearts for your name. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your presence and that in your presence we can find joy. In your presence we can find hope. In your presence we can rest. God, I pray that you would would create in us these hearts that are worshiping you, that we would sing, we would shout, we would repent, we'd dig into your word all because we know that in your presence is joy is hope. Father, that we would see you for who you are. Lord Jesus, would you help us see you today? How marvelous, how wonderful your name is. That you have taken us from death to life. That no good thing would you withhold from us. That we would live lives worshiping you in everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.